You're listening to Two Tape Decks and a Mixing Board, a podcast about life through the lens of music. Welcome to the show. My name is J-Mac, live in my bunker in St. Louis. And this is Sam Wade out in Los Angeles. We got a really fun show today. We're going to give you our our second time on the show, Mr. Ben Wade. Give it up for Ben Wade. Just imagine applause, Ben. Give it up for me. Applause for me. This is uh, J-Mac. This is our first return guest. That's exciting. I love that. I I feel like we're getting in a rhythm now. Love it. It was great to have you in the bunker last week. That was a really good time. Just Just a way to reset. Yeah, so this week we're going to be talking about siblings and bands, and the list goes on and on. But before we get to that and all that goodness that we, that we got coming up, but I would just like to remind our listeners that every Wednesday a new episode drops. iTunes, Google Play, SoundCloud, and Spotify. Look us up on Facebook, facebook.com slash two tape decks. And our B-sides are five to ten minutes of just random goodness. It could be music-related. It could be vampires. It could be a gangster. You don't know what it might be. Check it out. It drops every Saturday. Sam, what do you got for me? Well, J Mac, uh, you know, we, we, we mentioned that Ben's going to be here. You know, the, our listeners probably know that Ben's my brother. He has been um, for his whole life. Oh, and, uh, did you know that? We're still brothers now. So uh, we thought it was fitting to have him come back on the show and talk about bands that are made up of siblings. There's some great ones out there. You, let, you sent a list to me, and I didn't even know some of these uh, bands were, had siblings in them. But we're going to just, I mean, it's not going to just be brothers. There's some there's some uh, brother-sister bands in there. And, there. and all sisters, too. I mean, you know, I'm just going to drop a couple of these names. We, we don't even have time to even cover all the bands that are out there. It's it's actually pretty incredible how many of them have siblings in it. There's Heim. Those are all sisters. Uh, there's the Breeders. Uh, there's the Almond Brothers, the Carpenters, brother and sister. There was the Osmonds. Um, there was Kings of Leon, Lamb of God. I didn't know that they were siblings. Uh, Switchfoot is another one. The Everly Brothers, Crowded House. Uh, of course, the Jonas Brothers. That one's kind of a dead giveaway right there. I don't think that we can even talk about this subject and talk about brothers being in a band without mentioning the Beach Boys. Yep. I mean... Arguably one of the, the, the biggest uh, rock acts of all time, pop rock. I mean, influenced culture uh, and music culture almost as much as the Beatles in a lot of ways. Uh, you know, obviously the genius behind that band. Um, well, it's, you know, most of the time Brian gets gets the credit and he is by far just a musical genius. Um, but I just want to give a, a shout out to Dennis Wilson, uh, who is no longer with us. I think he died in like 1982, 83. He put out a solo record called Pacific Ocean Blue that is one of those albums that should be in like the classic uh, albums uh, list when like when people listen to it. So if our listeners never like checked out that record, they, they should check it out. But of course, the Beach Boys, you know, yeah. uh, they're known for their harmonies. And uh, I know that that's something like when me and me and Ben have worked on stuff, you know, you're Ben, you're always pushing me to like layer the harmonies. That's something that's that's dear to you. Right. Sure. I think it pushes the main vocal line forward. Not always, but if done tastefully, especially in a a Brian Wilson comparison way. Can you I mean, I can't even imagine um, harmonies like rock harmonies anymore without hearing that the layers that Brian would like orchestrate in his in their songs. He he made a science of it. He really did. 
Yeah, he also had a truly just musically mechanical brain, like not a lot of people had. And he didn't, I know he's he's known for possibly doing a bunch of drugs and stuff, but I was watching a couple interviews with him and uh, Linda where she's like, it's so exaggerated. He, he, he did acid maybe six times. I think his brain was just wired for sound and he could he could layer that stuff. I mean, heck, you, you got a you got a band of brothers and cousins, and their voices are already going to be kind of similar because they're family, and they're all thinking and wired the same way. So if you just kind of get it to sort of work together, like they talk about after school, they would just get together, and Brian would teach them vocal parts, and and the voices are gonna sound good together because they're familial already, and then you mix in that expertise and and those, that weird ass mind of his. Well, that brings up another band of brothers that sang incredibly together, and that's that's the Gibb brothers from the Bee Gees. Talk about being able to harmonize like nobody else could. I was watching a documentary on them, and they, they were talking about, I guess, Noel Gallagher from Oasis, which we're going to get to in a little bit. He was talking about two brothers or three brothers singing together. They're the only three people that have those instruments that are that close to each other. So, I mean, I would say when you get brothers harmonizing it it goes somewhere that I mean only maybe Lennon and McCartney, which have that they just their voices are just are just so symbiotic together. But I would be curious to see if you two have ever harmonized together. Oh sure. Definitely. Yeah. We've recorded playing stuff with harmonized mm-hmm. vocals. It is one of those things. Sometimes um our vocals do sound really similar and the and the times that we've ever um combined those on a track, it definitely blends really well. And that and that's the thing too, is like we've done a lot of different kinds of music. And I just want to point out to our listeners, um, uh, the Bee Gees, you know, they're not just a disco band. Early on, they had a whole like probably like a decade as a band before the disco thing happened where they were doing like, you know, rock music like that song. I started a joke uh, that was one of their big tracks at the time and had this big, you know, whole life and persona doing that thing. And I remember, right, like I was watching a documentary about them recently. They kind of discovered the whole falsetto harmony thing just kind of by accident. Did you know that? Yeah, because, I mean, they were kind of looking for a new sound. And I guess they kind of started off like Beatles, kind of that Brit kind of thing. And there was some really good music, but then they were looking for a new place to go, I guess, when the 70s hit, toward the late 70s. Yeah, and they, I think uh, Barry Gibb, just did the falsetto was kind of a kind of a, not a not a throwaway, but like I wonder what it would sound like, and it sounded amazing, and that that was their their next evolution, which is what they became known for. But yet, that's just a slice of who the Bee Gees actually were. But you're right, they really popularized it in a way that I don't think it had been, except maybe in soul music. Very that thing you just did with your voice, do it again. It was amazing. <laughs> it's oh my God, Barry. That's pretty legit. Hey, you know, one of the other things, too, about them that I didn't know is, like, uh, for staying alive. Um, they were dead. They were actually dead when they recorded that. <laughs> the whole time. Amazing how that even, like, was able to be recorded. <laughs> it stayed with us. Yeah. That really is a true gem. If they weren't alive and they were able to record that song. I mean, I'm going to listen to it in a whole different way now. Yeah. But when they made that song, uh, there was some kind of uh, issue with like getting some studio musicians or they were uh, their uh, audio engineer was experimenting and cut out a drum loop from one of their other tracks and then looped it. And that was one of the first songs I, that I can ever find of that started to actually loop drums in the background. Did you guys know that? Sam- I didn't. No, sampling it up. You know, the Bee Gees, they, they seem like they actually got along, which I don't think was the case for Oasis, was it? Oh, no. Hell no. 
Oasis is mm-hmm. one of those bands that that engenders a very visceral response. Either I love them or hate them, and a lot of that has to do with the two brothers and the way that they publicly would have these fights. Liam, of course, being the younger sibling, Liam Gallagher would walk off stage because he had a sore throat because he was pissed off, and then <laughs> then he would leave Noel on stage to deal with the fallout. And Noel wrote all the songs or most of the songs, at least all their big hits were written by Noel. And yeah, I mean, I was fortunate enough to see him three times, but I will say this. Every time I saw him, the band almost did not even look at each other. It was almost like the rest of the band was afraid to set him off. You know what I mean? It was almost like the drummer and the bass player and the other guitar player were so on eggshells, they were afraid to look or do something that might set Noel or Liam off and have him walk off the stage. Great. I mean, it was great live music. They're not very animated on stage, and it kind of makes me wonder if because they were so just stiff with each other, they didn't really want to rock the boat. They, there was too much money to be had, so if one of them got too out of control. But yeah, they made some great records, and that's another uh, siblings that sang great harmony together. I think of Rock and Roll Star, Cigarettes yeah, and sure. Alcohol, stuff like that. And no, it's hard to tell them apart sometimes on the tracks on on who's actually singing it. You know, sometimes you think it's Liam and you and it actually might be Noel uh, taking the lead on that track. Well, and here's the here's the the cool thing about Oasis. Very rarely do you have two lead singers, much less two lead singers that are brothers. And Noel would take the lead. He he sang "Don't Look Back in Anger." Uh, the importance of being idle was one of their later hits. They had two lead singers and they were two brothers. That's got to contribute to some of the animosity between the two of them. I mean, they broke up in 2009. They still haven't spoke to each other. You know, I, I've heard some behind-the-scenes stories of bands um, that are behind the scenes, behind the scenes, that, you know, there's a lot of that that happens where the, you, they almost turn into hired hands and, and they, you know, come together for the show and then, you know, don't ever hang out or talk other than that. And Totally. At the end of the day, it's a business, so you would think... Yeah, that kind of works, right? In a weird way. Yeah. I mean, if your paycheck is hinging on the fact that you get on stage and sing, and you know that the more time you spend off stage, there's a greater chance of you screwing up what's going to happen on stage, you are going to take a different tour bus if possible. I mean, I know in the early days, Oasis did party together, but, I mean, post, like, 2000, no, Noel wouldn't even allow drinking in the studio, which caused some of the members to quit the band. And I, I don't think he could control Man. what Liam did. That's the thing. It's one thing to be an employee, a, to be an, an employee, issue. but it's another thing to be a sibling and try to tell your sibling what to do. That could get real, <laughs> real. <laughs> sure, that's the difference. Um, but there, here's another band that has brothers that notoriously get along, and that's ACDC. Malcolm and Angus Young, they loved each other, that's, dude. From ACDC, they they loved each other. You never heard about them fighting backstage, so it could go the opposite way. But see, Malcolm Young was the rhythm guitar player, and he wrote a lot of the songs, but he was comfortable being in the background. I yeah, think he just like chilling and standing. Angus yeah. is all over the stage. Malcolm doesn't move ever. He's just got his six Bud Lights or whatever the yeah. hell lined up on top of his amp, and he's just enjoying the show. And I think that's but, why it works is because Malcolm was willing and liked being in the shadows. Good luck finding more than a handful of interviews from with Malcolm Young, and he was in ACDC for what, like 40, 50 years? Crazy. I think that that's um, that's kind of the same dynamic that happens when you see Radiohead on stage, though, too, is, um, you know, Colin, who plays bass, he's he's always kind of hiding hiding in the shadows in the background. Like He moves to the music, but he doesn't really come out front and center. While Johnny, it's you know, it's pretty much usually what you see in the band is Johnny and Tom. Um, doing a lot of interviews ed's been doing a lot more of that too but you know johnny's the one off on the side playing the guitar you know with either like a violin bow or like um 
just doing like crazy riffs and you know his head his hair flying around while he's doing like you know head down hair swinging back and forth like you know shoegazing at his pedals and just playing these amazing like riffs that are based on like his studies in chamber music and and things and like creating this crazy sound of all these guys in this band you know they've been the same guys playing together since they were in uh, in university like in fact they were like really in, influenced by the smiths and kind of had like that kind of sound if you like listen to their early demos when they were called on a friday it's like a totally different sound than what ended up happening with like the bens and pablo honey let alone you know their more recent stuff when they've gone on gone electronic but it's always been kind of that thing johnny kind of is up there being crazy you know that's why he went on to score those amazing soundtracks that kick ass and make you feel weird like there will be blood makes you feel weird yeah or the master like just really interesting stuff you know it's one of those um groups of siblings that we really haven't touched on and i think is is interesting dynamic too we've talked a lot about brothers what about brother and sister i think of the carpenters yep you know and 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 what they did and they really kind of revolutionized pop rock and and, you know what became uh, easy listening easy listening you know, the stuff that Richard Carpenter would do in his arrangements are just really incredible. And if you've never seen Karen Carpenter play drums, she could play. She do that. You said you sent me that YouTube video. I had no idea that Karen Carpenter played drums. Now, she's not going to Alex Van Halen it or anything, but she was keeping a good beat. And she it suited the music. And that's what the drum the drum should do. They should suit the music. And I, See, I, I think that she could have, though. I think she could have just so? ripped in. And if you did that kind of music. Yeah, I think she was that kind of technical drummer. Where she'd be like you know, all over the place, given the right thing. But they had a certain structure that they worked inside for their music, which I think was pretty cool. You know, I mean, it's not the band that I'm going to go and listen to on repeat all the time, but I can listen to what they did and realize that they were masters of their craft. No, you got to respect what they did. My mom used to love the Carpenters. That was my first introduction to them. So I kind of, I would, that was one of the few bands that was allowed, the mainstream bands that was allowed to be played in my house. So, I, I mean, I've, there's a soft spot in my heart for the Carpenters. I'm not going to lie. You know who's a band like that right now? Who's that? Go ahead, Ben. Did you have something you want to say on that? I was just going to say it's so funny having all of us having grown up in a Christian household. All secular music was banned except for the bands that our parents just happened to like, like the, <laughs> growing up. Like the Carpenters. <laughs> isn't, isn't that convenient? It's an interesting thought to think about. But, you know, I think it says something about the power of music, too. Like, even when you try to, like, put it inside certain boxes, it's always kind of pushing, um, at least I think, to kind of break those rules. Because it's it's more about how our perceptions are of these things. It's kind of cool to be able to think about that maybe, you know, some you hear a certain thing and can pull something out and kind of shift you into another spot. Uh, which is one of the challenges when you're trying to stay in a genre. I know for me, it's like, I'll get a million ideas and I'm like, nope, nope, nope. That doesn't fit for this. I don't have to put them all in there. Sometimes less is more. And and again, for like brother and sister acts who are all about less is more right now, you know, I have to talk about Billie Eilish and Phineas. I was going to say, I was going to say that. Yeah. What do you mean? What do you mean by less is more with them? Because I feel like they're just doing a lot and, and there's a lot going on in their songs too which I like there is, but it's very minimalist and stripped down. Like there it's very um, fine tuned and like keyed in. I know that like they, you know, when, when he's producing her um, at least on the videos I've seen uh, they push each other to refine it and refine it and not to try and use, you know, auto tune. Not that there's anything wrong with that, but to not use auto tune to really push it and try to perfect it to get there. And it's, it's like knowing, 
to me, that music is a mastercraft in knowing how to just put enough to get the message across, to get the sound across. And I, I really, you know, I don't know that they created this style in some ways, maybe they have, but it's, it's, it's influencing pop music uh, across the board now, just this minimalist, like just enough kind of a sound. Now, what does, what does he do for her? I know she's got an incredible voice. I, she was on Stern of all things I saw her and I was like, wow, this girl can sing, but what does her brother do? Does he just do the instrumentation of the production? He's a full producer, records yep. it, plays most of the music, mixes it, samples it out, uses logic. His sessions, that's what I was going to say. I saw some of his sessions and they're just so busy and crazy. And I know there's a lot going on there and stuff too, but it's I guess a, that just makes me think of a, a lot going on in the songs. It's true. Like, well, when you see the, when you see the production, yeah, for sure. There might be different, a lot of different things that happen throughout a song, but at one given time, they just have enough of those elements in there. Like if you listen to um, that's fair. That's Bad, a good point. Bad guy, when it starts off, it's just the bass, just pushing really hard, doing that that awesome like bass line, and then it'll bring in just that little melody line, and then her voice just real hushed over the top of it. I know one of the sounds is like the sound of of matches being blown out that he sampled and made into this crazy beat out of it just super you cool. like that dude huh <laughs> i think he's one of the greatest uh you know working producers right now i think that he's really pushing the boundaries and yeah i think it's i think it's it's pretty awesome i think people should pay more attention to it let's mention the jackson five that was one of probably the most popular and farthest back that i can remember five brothers that's that's a lot of brothers to get on one stage and and get along. Can you name them all try it go you can. Michael, Jermaine, I'm done. <laughs> Tito, Darren, Kevin, done. <laughs> that is not their names. It's it's Jackie, Tito, Jermaine, Marlon, and Michael. And also Randy. I don't know a whole lot about him. I know I know that Michael Jackson, that's where he kind of got his start. And I know the stories about their home life was not fun. I don't know how much we want to get into that, but that's that's a case of like darkness actually bringing out some light maybe as to opposed to what was going on behind the scenes. Um we were talked about Oasis fighting but still making good music. I don't imagine it was real easy for Michael as a young boy to be the front basically the front man of that that band. His four brothers being kind of in the shadow of him. Yeah, uh you got I mean you got to talk about like Janet and Latoya as well. They uh, and everybody in that family seemed like, you know, they got pushed. I mean, the short version got pushed by their father to make the music. But imagine what it was like too, you know, to, to see Michael kind of like start to get his own icon status. He made I know for a fact he made off the wall when they were still uh, in the Jacksons. Maybe Thriller came out and they were still a band at the time, too. I don't know that he had completely broken off to his own solo career at that point. And then he just skyrocketed to be like one of the, by probably you know, arguably the biggest pop star ever, you know, right there yeah. easily with 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 Elvis and the Beatles as far as that icon status. Yeah, so. I mean, you got you got to go all the way to Elvis to find somebody who who was I mean, you could count the Beatles in that. But once again, the Beatles were a group. Michael had to, Michael and Elvis had to take it all on their own shoulders. You know what I mean? Mm hmm. It seems like there are a lot more bands that have brothers than brothers and sisters or sisters, but especially when we're talking about rock bands, we cannot talk about sibling bands and not mention Heart. Come on, literally one of the greatest rock bands of all time. And by the way, the only band that um, can pull off a Led Zeppelin song that's not Led Zeppelin and make it their own completely. 
Oh yeah, yeah. All I, I gotta say is Barracuda Man. Barracuda, oh, dude, oh, that's oh, got oh. like speed, a speed metal riff. It's, I mean, I'm probably over, I'm probably overstating it, but it does like. Dun, 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 dun. I love that riff. I would say it's a, it's a, it's like a proto thrash riff. Yeah, for sure. yeah, it's great. Well, didn't they cover Stairway to Heaven and Robert Plant and Jimmy Page kind of teared up in the balcony while they were doing it? Yeah, I, I know that exact performance that you're talking about. They like saluted them, and it was weird because Robert Plant was wearing like a royal stripe of honor or some shit. Like, well, it was the Kennedy Center honors. Okay. Uh, Led, Led Zeppelin was getting the, the Kennedy Center honors, and they had a bunch of different acts, you know, perform their song for the show. And John Bonham's son. Jason, um, during that performance, was actually playing drums That's while right. Hart uh, was performing. And it's just, yeah, if you watch it now, it's it's hard not to get a little, you know, feels while you're watching. It's a pretty incredible performance of that song. Well, and yeah, man, Nancy Wilson's a shredder. Unbelievable guitarist. And she's she's done several soundtracks as well. You know, recently on the show, we, we talked about rock films. And uh, one of the movies that we brought up was Almost Famous. And I got to point out that Nancy Wilson... Uh, was really instrumental in writing a lot of the songs that became um, Stillwater songs in the in that film, and actually performed a lot of it with Peter Frampton, who, who did a lot of the vocals and a lot of this, the the soundtrack work and, and stuff for that, and a lot of other Cameron Crowe films. They were a couple for a while, um, but I think That's she did some stuff. Even soundtrack other. rips. It really does, and it's just a testament of just like just how much uh, of an amazing you know guitarist and artist she really is. Well, speaking yeah. of them. Speaking of amazing guitar players, we would be remiss if we did not mention, I mean, probably one of my favorite guitar players of all time, the late, great Eddie Van Halen. Talk about a band of brothers, Alex, shredding on drums, just beating the hell out of them things, and and Eddie just going at it. You can't have Van Halen without the both of them. Straight up. Did you know, this is a fun fact, they started out on each other's instruments. Eddie started on drums and Alex started on guitar. I, and they, they even tried to play some shows that way and it just sucked ass. So they were like, let's switch. I do know that because I watched this this clinic that Eddie Van Halen put on a few years before he died and they were talking and he was like, yeah, I, I got some drums and Alex got a guitar and we switched. Here's the thing. I don't believe Eddie Van Halen sucked at anything he ever did. So I think his version of sucking on the drums is probably like a really, really good day for a lot of other people. You can't argue that he found his niche with guitar. You know what, though? If we're sorry, this is a pivot. If we're talking about sibling brothers of rock, I feel like we would be remiss if we didn't talk about Pantera because Dimebag, Vinny, Pantera, rest in peace, Dimebag, gone too soon. That was a that duo playing together. Both trying to out shred the other person at the same time and but yet somehow the parts still melding together so well did you know that eddie van halen put his his franken guitar in dimebag daryl's coffin did you know that i did not know that yeah that's tied, appropriate. And tied that's all kind. together in an that's an honor yeah so eddie van halen was i mean he, he legendarily did not listen to other music uh, but apparently he knew who Dimebag Daryl was, and he thought enough of him to bury his, I think his original Franken, Franken guitar or whatever, the one with the red that one with Kramer? the white stripes. Yeah, uh, that's amazing. Yeah, he buried it with, with Dimebag. Yeah, that's... That's very honorable and cool. It says a lot about um, Dimebag Daryl and what, you know, <laughs> he brought to rock guitar prowess as well. You know, Eddie Van Halen. And the way, he, the way he died was just so crazy because he's like, not to glorify it in any way, but he died shredding and, and this guy like attacked him. It's just, it's just crazy that he was 
doing this beautiful gift and someone had to, to stop that in the middle of it. Right. His brother was, his brother was haunted by, by that death. He was on stage with his brother when it happened. I can't even imagine. Yeah, I can't either. You know, Noel Gallagher of Oasis got attacked on stage and Liam didn't do shit. <laughs> because it was Liam attacking him. Yeah, probably so. Uh, actually, it wasn't. <laughs> Some guy jumped up on stage and tackled him with his his Gibson three thirty five, that big red one that that Noel always plays. Like it's like a two thousand twenty five hundred dollar guitar. And Liam, is there a video of that? Yeah, yeah, that. You, there's video. And Liam acts like he's gonna punch him, but then he 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 pussies out and walks away. But a brother's getting attacked on stage. Brothers gotta have each other's back, dog. You got to. You know, another band um, that I want to make sure we talk about too is the Kinks. Because, you know, Kinks really did influence rock music um, in what became punk and what became, like, metal in, in a lot of ways uh, further down the road. You know, they had, like, the, the, the crazy songs at the beginning, um, All Day and All Night. But, you know, one of the records that I don't know, you know, yet again, a record that doesn't get the credit it's due is Lola. Well, it's a terrible name. It's really long. It's Lola versus Power Man and the Money Go Round. <laughs> kind of a weird album name, but this is a record that has Lola on it, which is probably their biggest hit. It has uh, Ape Man, which I always remember, always remember from that movie Club Paradise, that Robin Williams movie in the in the eighties with Jimmy Cliff and and Peter O'Toole. But really classic song. And then there's a bunch of other songs. Uh, Strangers is on there. Power Man. Uh, a lot of these songs ended up being used in Wes Anderson films. Uh, so it kind of has that vibe as well. It's just really great record. And they would do, you know, so it was Ray Davies and Dave Davies were the brothers in the band. Um, I know they didn't always get along. Like that's another one there. There would be tension between them. And I think a lot of arguments behind the scenes on, on who would sing a song, who would, you know, who wrote a song. Uh, and ultimately I, I think it's caused a lot of tension for them, but there's something about how that iron, sharpens iron when you have the tensions in these bands where there's this this dynamic between the brothers or the brothers and the sisters or or these siblings where they fight it kind of pushes them sometimes to make really great music too because they're always trying to one-up each other yeah i was sitting here thinking about uh there's two bands called this but this one that i'm talking about is called death they're from detroit and they're this punk band kind of before punk in 1974 yep. i think and they had they were the hackney brothers bobby and yeah bobby and dennis like i said they were playing punk before anyone else i mean geez i mean you might argue that some stuff was going on in new york first but uh they had i think it was, i don't know if it was the name of an album or just one of their songs called politicians in my eyes it still rips just as hard as anything that you could pull up from the mid 80s for punk for ramones or dead kennedys or anything like that and these dudes were just literally doing it by themselves inventing the style alone and one notable thing is in a world dominated by white dudes this was all black dudes by the way playing this this early punk stuff and it was that's just so fascinating and their style is super fascinating so i recommend oh if anybody wants to learn about them there's a documentary called a band called death i've seen it i've seen mind. it it's a great documentary yeah it's 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 black guys playing punk rock and I guess in Detroit, where they were from, people, their relatives didn't get it. Yeah, they said that people would come up and just like stand outside their house and, and be like, what are you doing? Yeah, because this is like pre-Sex Pistols or, or Ramones, right? Like this is like, this is, they're basically creating the sound. 
yeah plus like jeremy said they're just in their neighborhood doing this and like and they've created this sound and nobody's it's just foreign to everyone around them and they're like what are these guys doing well, one of the just experimenting. One of the brothers died not too long ago, and and apparently when he knew he was sick, he told he told somebody, or I guess he told his brother, he goes, "Keep watch on this music because people will come looking for it eventually." And he was right because they've kind of had it like was. they're more popular now than they than they ever were when they were doing it because nobody ever really knew who they were. And thanks to that documentary and a cool ass name, Death, when the record company would like you can't call your band Death if you remember that part. And then they, the guy stuck with it. He stuck with that name. It's almost like they were, uh, that, that name kind of, at the em. time, doomed them to failure. Yeah. Yeah. Okay, so this is my last brother band, the Black Crows, uh, Chris and Rich Robinson. I saw them on Stern, and they also toured with Oasis, I guess, in the early 2000s. It was the tour of brotherly love. And apparently, from what they said on Stern, the guys in Oasis – were used to fighting, but they had never been in a room with Chris and Rich going at it. And they said the Oasis guys would just walk out of the room when they were going at it. I don't, I don't know what they were fighting about, but, but yeah, they're they're legendarily angry brothers that managed to make really good music together. So I don't think we can forget them. Shake your money maker. Every I'll, cover band I've ever been in plays. Uh, hard to handle. Hard to handle. Yep, we yeah, played man. it a million oh, times. What a great version of that song uh, of 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 hard to handle, but I just got to call out. Have you ever heard the uh, the original like Otis Redding version of that yeah, song? Yeah, it's really good too. It's really oh, good. it's unbelievable. It's uh, so far, it's it's like the ultimate version of that song in my opinion. It's just it's just so good. But like, uh, I, I found it hard to handle. <laughs> I see what you did there. Man, the, you know, guys, there's so many bands that we could talk about that are that are have siblings in it. Like, I don't even know. Uh, we we could almost do five shows just talking about all these bands. I, I agree. It's it's a rabbit hole to go down. I love going down rabbit holes on this show, especially when I got good conversation going on with my buddy Ben and my buddy Sam. We didn't even talk about like there's so many to list. Like there's Collective Soul. <laughs> Oh, that yeah. was another band. Yeah. There was uh, Devo, uh, NXS, the Allman Brothers, the Neville Brothers, the Everly Brothers. I mean, Satan Brothers, <laughs> the Bacon Brothers. Uh, oh, can't forget the Bacon Brothers. Are you kidding yeah. me? Yeah, they're awesome. And uh, Thirty Seconds to Mars is another one. I mean, there's just there's so many people out there, current and 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 the past that have been um, doing these things uh, together. It's crazy. Last question. Do you guys think siblings have the potential to make better music than other people, or you just think it's all an even even playing field? I think they get a certain advantage right off the bat if they're both musically inclined. Absolutely. I mean, I definitely see that when, uh, Ben, you and I work on projects. Like, we've never actually had a proper band together. Um, we should at some point. There is like a shorthand because we grew up listening to all the same music. Uh, we can be like, hey, remember that? And then we just go yeah. right do it like that thing and then you're like oh yeah i got you right you don't have to say what it is and you're like oh you're off to the races already and how much better is it when you're your own your your brother's greatest fan i think that's or your sister's greatest fan i think that's really the secret to not necessarily success but longevity being being each other's greatest fan and that's why it's cool when i see brothers like like malcolm and angus young getting along I mean, you've gotta you've gotta really love each other to spend that much time in a tour bus on the road, on stage, away from your family. 
that's kind of the warm, happy side of that I like to focus on. I mean, I love the Gallaghers and all their fighting and stuff, but the bands that really make me kind of smile are, are Alex and Eddie and, and Malcolm and Angus, you know, and I guess Vinnie, Paul, and Dimebag, you know. Brothers that were truly brothers, not just in name, but in spirit, too. You said it. For another great episode of Two Tape Decks and a Mixing Board, my name is J-Mac. And I'm Sam Wade. I'm Ben. Saying until next week, stay Stay cosmic. cosmic. Stay cosmic. (laughs) 